Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Today is Palm Sunday. And this morning at 9.30, I had 44 children here. And um, what they could see that you couldn't see is that I'm wearing palm leggings. And so I said, what day is it? And uh, many of the children said, it's Palm Sunday. And I said, that's great. And one of the kids said, it's Palm Sunday because you're wearing palm leggings. And I said, well, if I wasn't wearing palm leggings, would it be Palm Sunday? And half of them said, no. And the moral of the story is the children are watching. The children are watching. And that's important because today is about teaching the children joy. It's about teaching the world how important today is because it is part of a larger picture. It is part of getting ready for this holy week. And Christians all over the world, all over the United States, all over are celebrating today with palm branches. And you will get yours. How many of you were like, why don't we have palm branches already? Right? Some of you were like, I'm looking for my palm branch. You're going to get it. I'm making you wait. Because what generally happens on Palm Sunday is that you get a palm branch and you come in and you wave it and we sing some palm song and then it finds its way to the pew or the floor and then it's over. Oh no, we can't go out like that. No, we need to show what Palm Sunday means. So our exit will be the parade. Our exit will be the loud noise, the heralding of the arrival of Jesus Christ. Because the text is very clear, and there are different accounts in different gospels, but in the gospel account of John, Jesus was really intentional about how he did this. It has been leading up all of his earthly ministry to this day. Three years he traveled around Israel, Three years with these apostles, traveling, teaching, healing, helping, and now he has finally entered into the great city, the holy city of Jerusalem, where the house of God sits and where the Sadducees, the priesthood, reign. And as he's going to enter in, the people have gathered because Jerusalem is hustling and bustling. It's the festival of the Passover, and this is one of the years that Scripture mandates that the head of household, the male head of household, had to go and make a special offering. And they participated in the festivities of Passover, specifically that Passover Seder, which we will celebrate on Thursday as the transformation from the Seder into the Last Supper. And so as we're getting ready and and everyone was prepared to worship and see family members and friends that they had not seen, as everything was going on, word comes that Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem. And people get excited. And so they start to herald his arrival as if he were already king. They take off their coats. For some of them, their only outerwear. And they lay it down so that he, riding a donkey, may cross it. You're not getting your coat back. When a donkey comes riding across, I don't know how familiar you are with donkeys, but they just do what they got to do when they got to do it. And knowing my luck, it would be on my coat. 
And so they were willing to sacrifice this precious commodity in order to show the world that their king had finally come. And he's riding a donkey. And we all think to ourselves, like, a, a donkey? Really? I mean, I don't know if you've ridden a donkey. I have. That is not my preferred mode of transportation. And so why? Why the donkey? If we go back to the prophet Zechariah, we will find out why the donkey. Zechariah 19 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he. Humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Finally, the Messiah was coming. And the war that they had known, the tyranny of the Roman Empire and before them the Persian Empire and before them the Babylonians and before them the Assyrians... Over and over, they had been vassals of other states, and they had used their nation as a war ground. And now the promise of peace was here, that he would usher in an era of peace. And so he comes both triumphant and humble. Not easy to do. But he comes in a very intentional way. And as he enters into the city, his apostles must finally feel vindicated. Yes! They finally understand. Three years we've been working on these people, wandering around. And for once, they're not stoning him. They're shouting hooray. Because that's what Hosanna means. It's the biblical hallelujah. Yes. And they're excited and they're embracing him and they've come to see him. Here he is, he who raised Lazarus from the dead, he who has fed thousands in their hunger, he who looked out on the world and said, you should not be sick and broken. Instead, I have come to heal and to help. And finally, all of that hard work and that walking, all of it has come to this moment, and it feels like, yes, what a parade. Finally, the holy city recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah, and everything's going to go right. Finally. No. No. We're not going to get there yet. We're going to stay here in Palm Sunday for just a moment. Because they don't understand how quickly all of this will fade. But the gospel account of John tells us that something fabulous happened that day. The Pharisees finally admitted defeat. The Pharisees, who had been battling with Jesus in words and in deeds, they saw him as a threat. How dare you say you are the Messiah? How dare you claim to be the fulfillment of the scroll of Isaiah? How dare you teach that there may be other people that can be loved by God other than we who are descended from Israel. How dare you let people in? How dare you, Jesus? And time and time again, the scripture accounts up until this point tell us that they would seek him out and try to entrap him. And every time, not only did he navigate their traps and their trickery, but he made them look like fools. Because they didn't understand. They did not know. They heard but did not listen. And they looked but did not see. And they would not repent for their sin of leading their other brothers and sisters in Judaism astray. And yet today, they said, look, what can be done? 
The whole world has gone after him now. And they concede their defeat. Because he has now exited their land, their territory, their sphere of influence. And he has entered in Jerusalem. And one group of people reigns supreme there. The Sadducees, the priesthood. And Jesus is about to walk face to face right into their stomping ground, into the temple on Monday morning, and have an incredible confrontation. He's about to change the game. And where the Pharisees failed, the Sadducees shall succeed. Because the apostles don't realize that as Jesus is walking in triumphantly and all these people are waving palm branches and laying down their coats and screaming that blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and meaning Jesus is the Messiah, they don't realize that in one day Jesus is going to get introduced to the Sadducees and it will take them less than four to orchestrate his death. What the Pharisees could not accomplish in three years of earthly ministry, the priesthood will do in four years days. Within four days, they will determine that he is a threat. Within four days, they will conspire to turn him over, to have him betrayed and arrested. They will lure one of his favorite away so that he may betray him. And in less than four days, they will have him stand before the governor Pontius Pilate. They will have him convicted of being a threat to Caesar, and they will have him humiliated, beaten, battered, bruised, crucified, and killed. That is the power of the priesthood. And before we get there, we have to take a moment and celebrate this day. Now, in the past, I've, I've preached a Palm to Passion Sunday sermon, and I've been known, not hellfire and brimstone, but I've been known to make people feel a little guilty sometimes. And so one of the things I used to do is say that this was the time, this was the week when all of those who were gathered on Palm Sunday walked away from him in his greatest time of need. He was abandoned. All of these people that were here shouting Hosanna and hooray later would be turning their waves into fists and screaming, crucify him, crucify him. We would rather have Barabbas than him. And so all of these people who had been part of his ministry, who had seen him and known him, who had loved him and been loved by him, They scattered. They physically abandoned him. And those that were willing to stay by were silent. No one spoke up and said, no, you are wrong. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. No one would stand up and tell the Sadducees, you are wrong. No one would dare stand up before Pilate and say, why would you give us this rabble rise of Barabbas when we can have our king? No one. No one was willing to speak. And few were willing to stay. But this is not about making you feel guilty. Because I don't want you to come to worship because you feel guilty. I want you to come to worship because you see an invitation to an opportunity, to an encounter. So here is what I will tell you about what this week is. This week is a chance to say, Lord, I wasn't there, but I am descended from those who were. I am the spiritual descendants of your apostles and your disciples, of the women who came to the tomb. I am those who have been gifted to be part of your kingdom emerging here and now on the earth. And I would love to say, Lord, in my heart of hearts, that I would not have abandoned you. That I would have been bold enough to say, I know him and I love him and I claim him. And this week, we can. This week, 
when even in the highest heavens, Jesus Christ, resurrected, risen, and triumphant, recalls what had to happen for Easter. And all of the heavens must mourn when they remember this week that all of those in whom there was so much promise, they abandoned him. But we can stay. Now we can be there. When he gathered with his apostles in that upper room and he gave them the gift of the sacrament of Holy Communion, we can receive. And when he modeled for us for all time that to be a savior is to be a servant and that to lead as a disciple is to humble ourselves, we can remember and take our rightful place there by his side. And on Good Friday, when it is so easy to not look at the cross, we can choose to be here. And with our presence and our prayers, our words, and our love, we can stay with him. We have the opportunity to show Jesus that we are committed to this, that we will not abandon him, but instead we will be here. And we will gaze upon the cross and know that it is not ours, that there isn't even a cross to crucify us on because Christ has broken it. And that cross is the end. It is the last gift, our sin, our guilt, we are no longer convicted felons of sin. It has been taken from us by the one who has come for us. And Good Friday is about saying, I know you, I choose you, and I love you. It's about being here for our Lord. When we couldn't have been there before, but he's been here every day. It's about showing our commitment and our willingness. And so the church prepares today because we know that Good Friday isn't the end. You know, that's the weakness of Jesus Christ Superstar. It ends with him on the cross. That's not the end. That's not where the story stops. And in fact, we have to show the world that the story ends here. The story ends with Christians turning their hearts and choosing Christ over the world. It's about us deciding that our discipleship means more to us than our comfort. It means more to us than meeting worldly standards and stereotypes. That it means more to us than anything the world could use to cajole or guilt or call us. That nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Not our schedules, not our fears, and most definitely, not the idea that if we don't pay attention, then it didn't really happen. Instead, we gather on Easter because we have been on the journey. I'm 37 years old, and last week I sat in my office and tried to think, how many funerals have I officiated? More than for all the years that I've been alive. I have officiated countless funerals, dozens and dozens, and I'm not done. But the older I get, the more I am convinced that Easter is about adults showing children how to have joy. The older I get, the more I'm convinced that it's not about chocolate and bunnies and eggs and baskets, 
but instead it's about us showing children how to rejoice and truly celebrate. They're going to lead us today. They're going to show us what it is to be loud and exuberant and excited. And we are going to turn it back on Easter and show them they have yet to see joy. Because joy, every year that I grow older, is knowing that there's an empty tomb for me. That I may not be locked into a grave for all eternity, that my death is a temporary pause, and that one day my tomb shall be opened, and I shall walk just like you, just like innumerable believers. Graves will open, and we shall walk once more. And the Lord has promised us this in Easter. The promise is that I will not abandon you. Even in death, I am faithful. And if we want to receive that promise and that gift, can we not give this time, this week, to show the Lord that we will not abandon him, that we are committed? Because Crozet does parades, right? Even before I came, people told me, oh, you've got to see our parades. We have great parades, especially the 4th of July. And ironically, the last two years on 4th of July, I've had to nap. But I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. And you know why? Because every year I hear about what I'm missing. Because we love a parade. Human nature loves parade. We like to make noise and wave things around. And we like to look at people parading around and have people see us. We enjoy that. There's nothing wrong with that. Palm Sunday was at its heart, at its beginning, a parade. It wasn't just waving some palm branches around and calling it a day. It's a parade. It's announcing to the world that Christ has come. It is telling the world that we are getting ready and we have a journey to go. We've got to gather at the table. We have got to remember that our faith will enliven itself in our service. And we need to remember that as painful and embarrassing and shameful as the cross is, that it's not our death because he has taken it for us. And so instead, we are able to move past the death and the sin and the pain and the suffering and wake up on Easter and truly celebrate. We should be showing all the children in Crozet what joy looks like on Easter. We should be waking them up. Hallelujah! It's Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And we should be showing them what that's like. Otherwise, we are failing to testify. We are failing to set the standard to which they shall rise. If the adults are making noise, the children will make noise. And so we need to show them that the biggest day of the year is the day when death was stuck in the tomb and life came out. And we yearn for that. The older we get, the more we encounter death, the more we understand that it is a terrible thing. It is terrible to lose one that you love so much. And Christ promises us that death will not have the final victory, that death is not the end, that it is only temporary, and that by grace and love, God shall overcome. And we live that on Easter, and we proclaim that, and we tell the world until we are hoarse, until we are red in the face, and until we are exhausted that he is risen, 
he is risen indeed. May that be what we do this Easter. May our story be one of such jubilation. I had a church member tell me, man, when those kids got out of church at 930, I heard them. I heard them. Good. It is time the world hears. But it is time that the world hears from each and every one of us who bear the grace of the cross. All of us have a song to sing, a prayer to pray, and a gift to give. All of us. And God cherishes our presence. So why not give it to the one who has given us literally everything? May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.